the program is they have prayer partners, people that pray for that child in the school and for the mentor and for their relationship. And what's special about Hillside's Kids Hope program is that we also have somebody that prays for the teacher and for every staff member in that school, which is so wonderful. One of the denominations, many churches have embraced it. Well, one of them that looked at it, um, they said, we love your program. We would like our churches to have this program, but can we just tweak it a little bit? And they said, how would you like to tweak it? And they said, well, like, we see that prayer is a big part of your program. We like everything else, but prayer, we don't believe in prayer. Can we take prayer out? And I was so uh, happy that Kids Hope said no. It's like having a car without gas in it. The prayer is the gas that makes this program what it is. But all of us have to face this question, right? Is prayer something in which we believe? Does prayer indeed, can prayer change things in my life, in your life? And I think we are all someplace on this continuum, right? If you take this church, for example, this denomination, they say prayer changes nothing. You know, you pray and nothing changes. Maybe some will say, well, it changes a little bit. And maybe some of you will say, yeah, it does change a little bit, you know. Like I prayed and, you know, maybe I, I got a job or something. It was a little bit, not much. I mean, I would have gotten anyway, but it just helped to pray. Or we say, well, no, it changes us. Some people will say it changes nothing but you. It just makes your attitude better. But some will say, no, it does change things. It changes circumstances. And uh, it changes the world. When we pray, God is acting in, in changing the world. And some even say, no, it changes everything. And I hope that we are all here and we say prayer changes everything. It changes us. It changes the world. It changes the circumstances. And in the same, in the same Sermon on the Mount where we have this prayer in chapter 6, in chapter 7 in Matthew, Jesus says this, Ask and it will be given to you. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Seek and you will find. And then he says, if you then, though you are evil, know how to, good, to, do, to give good gifts to your children, how much more your Father in heaven, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask Him? You see, He says, the door will be open if you have the desire to ask. To knock, to seek. If you don't seek, you don't find. That's the, the reverse of it, right? And he says, the Father has good gifts for you and for me. You might be saying, well, I am safe. I am, I'm, he, he is my Lord. He gives me everything I need. Yeah, but he says, you need to ask. There are some good things. Not because he's evil, but, but because he expects us to ask for them. What if we need, for example, a special blessing. We say, Lord, I just look at my kids, you know, and, and I just want, what if we say, can you give them a little bit more faith? It's a gift from you, but can you make that faith stronger? Can you pour a little bit more obedience towards me when I say something? Can you help them do it? <laughs> I don't know what you pray, but you pray something, right? You say, can I see more of you, Jesus, in my kids? How about my, my father and mother? You know, they, they, they might not believe in what I believe. They, but can you show yourself to them? It will be such a good gift to me. Right? You will say. Maybe you are at work and you say, I don't know what to do, but 
tomorrow I'm not looking, you know, it's, it's not looking good for me. I am. Can you, Lord, make my workplace more enjoyable and help me be a bigger blessing there, bigger uh, source of joy to each and every one there? Can you make me more joyful? I have some joy, but can you just give me life abundant? Are there some things that prayer can change in our lives? Are there some good gifts that we miss? And the Bible says that if we knock, the door shall be open to us. If we seek, we will find. Because God has good gifts that he wants to give to us. Now going back to the prayer, right? If you have your NIV Bibles, and this is just an NIV Bible here. Um, the NIV Bible that we use here in our church has this line. Uh, for yours is the kingdom, power, and the glory forever. Amen. But not in the text, in a footnote, you see. Only like King James and other, like New King James version, have it in the text. If you look at our text, the Bibles that we have here in the back of our church, they are NIV Bibles, and uh, they stop the prayer right there. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And it stops there. There is nothing as to finish you know, prayer like we do. When we pray the Lord's Prayer, we also pray, For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. And if you look uh, at the footnote, it says, Later manuscripts, later manuscripts have that line. Later manuscripts. So you wonder why. Is it, is it maybe in a different gospel, maybe in Luke? So then you look in the Luke, and there's no, nothing in Luke. It's the same thing. So then you say, well, why do we pray it, Right? Why do we use this line if it's not in our Bibles? Well, just think about how the Bible came to us, right? The disciples were eyewitnesses to the gospel story. And once Jesus ascended to heaven and they received the Holy Spirit, they started to preach the gospel, but it was a verbal testimony. They shared the gospel. They shared basically the story of Jesus and his life and how they were eyewitnesses to his life. And later on, after years of preaching the gospel verbally, they decided, let's write it down. And they didn't have the printing press or the copier or the scanners like we do today. Everything was handwritten. So they would take these scrolls and write them down. So they wrote the gospel on scrolls, right? The four gospels that we have. And they wrote it in Greek mainly. And um, as they were writing these things down, they will pass these manuscripts, these scrolls, to a church. And somebody in the church, like, very interesting, will say, can I have a copy? Can I make a copy? And then the scribes will sit down, take those scrolls, and they will make a copy of those scrolls. And most historical documents that we have, not only about the Bible, on any document, that's how they were transmitted. And the reliability of our texts sometimes is based on the distance between the first manuscript and the first copy that we have. We don't have the original copies. Like, we don't have the original copy that Matthew wrote, right? Or Luke. But we have copies of those. And you see, in the earliest copies of the New Testament, which means like in the 2nd, 3rd century, you know, and stuff like that, we don't have that line. But what's interesting, it's included in something that is not in the Bible, but the Didache is the summary of the apostles' teaching. And that came at the end of the 1st century, and it included that line. So it's not a document in the Bible, but it looks like it was used not far away from the, the apostles' time, right? John may have still be alive when, when this happened, right? But look at the Jewish prayers. 
the Jewish prayers end with this doxology. That's what we, uh, for yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever. Amen. It's a doxology. We bless God. We say, for you, you have everything, God, that, that it concerns power, honor, and kingdom and glory. So Jesus might have assumed it that people will know how to end the prayer. So he ended there. Or another possibility is that it just fits so well in the liturgy that people just inserted that. And it did, you know. By the second century, this was established practice in the churches, we are told. And based on historical documents, the line was there in the second century and everybody was using it. I mean, most churches, right? But then also, if you come toward the centuries, King James Version, 1611, has it. New King James has it. And it's included in one of our key documents, the Heidelberg Catechism. This is 1563. So it's there. It's not surprising. But also, if you look at other doxologies in the Bible, both Old and New Testament, they are very similar. So I will just pick some of them. Old Testament one. This is David's prayer. First Chronicles 29. David says, Yours, Lord, is the power and the glory Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. Then one of Paul's prayers in Ephesians chapter 3, he says, Not to, Now to him who is able to do according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church forever and ever. Amen. Very similar, right? And went from the Revelation chapter 1. It says, he, To him who loved us and has made us kings and priests to his God our Father, to him... Be glory and dominion, which is power, forever and ever. Amen. So you see so close, so close to our line. So we are, not, we are not teaching anything new. This line doesn't teach anything new, right? But it does point to us four things in this, in this four, last line. The first is, for yours is the kingdom. You see, what does it mean for? And for means because, right? On account of the fact. We have prayed all of these things. But this is the turning point. You know, up to this point, we have prayed to God and said, Father, can you give us bread? Can you make your, your kingdom come down to us? Can you make your will come down to us, just as it is in heaven? Can you fill us with your protection and help us to be also forgiving like you are? So all of these prayers, and after we pray all of these prayers, God, just give me, give me, give me, and we are the receivers. And the end of the prayer, we say, now, Lord, that you have blessed us, that I have spent this time with you, now that I prayed all of these prayers, now I am going to be like you, generous. So I turn it back to you, because you do all of these things for me, for my family, for my life. Because yours is the kingdom. Not because I'm building my kingdom. Because yours is the power. Not because I need the power. Because you have the power. And because you have the glory. Because of your glory, you bless me. So you kind of turn back to God and say, now yours is the glory. If I am a Christian, if I am one that ex exhibits any faith, it's because it is from you. If I am loving and forgiving to others, it's because I reflect who you are. And because you gave me your forgiveness so we, we turn back the prayer yours is the kingdom then we say right yours is god's authority is over all things we say you you have authority over everything there's nothing that is not under your rule lord you have the supreme authority in creation and everything under is under your full control one of the stories of the bible about control and how much Somebody else has control besides God in our lives is in the story of Job. And you remember, Satan comes and says, you know, he is faithful to you, Lord, just because you bless him. And then the Lord says, well, I will let you touch his life in this way. You can take away what he has and you can give him whatever you want as an illness. 
but you cannot kill him. That's the condition. Don't kill him, but you can take his possessions away, his family away, and you can take his health away. Just don't kill him. Sometimes you do feel in our lives, you know, have you ever felt that Satan has a free reign on your life, on your family, and you say, what is going on? When is this going to stop? And that's our prayer. That's when we run to God in prayer and say, Lord, can you put, can you put a boundary now to all of these things? Can you give me strength to go through it? It can be a broken family, that, a broken relationship, a family that just goes to pieces. It can be somebody's health in the family that is just destroyed. It can be a work relationship that is, that is going away and you lose your job and maybe career and, and you need a career change or maybe you lose your home. It could be so many tragedies, right? But even in, the, in that we say God has the, has the power, right? That's the second thing. God has the power. What does it mean that he has the power? That he's almighty. He, has to, he, has, he can do whatever he pleases. He has the power to do everything in heaven and on earth. You see, sometimes I, I <coughs> we, 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 we say we are big fishes in little ponds, right? Because we feel that, hey, I can control this. I can build my own kingdom here in this corner. And I can be the big fish in this little pond. But God is the big fish in the bo- big pond. The big fish in the big pond, right? He can do everything in, in heaven and on earth. There is nothing that is not under his authority. Nothing is too hard for him. You see, if you think of the Bible and the stories, I'm not sure what will you pick and say, you know, if I'm thinking of the Bible and God's power exhibited throughout history, what will be your top three choices, you know? What will you choose to say, this is where I see God's power in action, you know? I just picked the crossing uh, of the Red Sea, you know? To me, the enemies being uh, the people of Israel in front of the sea, the enemy behind trying to slaughter them, there's not much time left, and God immediately through Moses works a miracle and opens the sea to me and then walk they walk across the sea almost like on dry ground uh, dry ground and they are saved on the other side the enemy pursues them right and then God closes the sea upon them and has them safe on the other side what a powerful scene just to, to, to imagine that to do the impossible right but why is God acting that? Because they are crying for help. In fact, that's why God took them out of Egypt. Because they said, I heard their cry. And I came to rescue them. So Moses go and bring them out. The resurrection of Jesus, I will say, is another powerful event. The resurrection of Jesus uh, is not only in Jesus' life or, or affecting him's life, but also the life of the apostles. If you remember the transformation, the personal transformation of people. And Saul, by all means, before he was a Christian, a follower of Jesus, he was almost like a terrorist, right? He was killing Christians, chasing them, putting them in chains, and trying to stop people believing in Jesus. And then he becomes Paul. So from somebody who was instilling fear is one who says, do not fear. From one who was chasing Jesus' followers, he became a Jesus follower. From one who wanted to kill the church, he starts to build the church. And that's the power that Jesus transformed us. And we can say, wow, Jesus transformed that selfish person. Look how generous he is, right? That father who was abusing the children in the home, look how beautiful and how sacrificial he is now. How much he loves his, his wife and children. And that's what we see every day. Lives transformed by Christ. The Protestant Reformation, if you think about the church was kind of going away, and God said, no, I'm going to send some of the reformers. And one of them was Luther, who said, and Martin Luther said, we need a gospel 
the Bible in, in the language of the people, they need to be able to understand what they are praying. When they say, Our Father, they cannot just say it in Latin. They need to understand. If they are speaking German at home, they should read the Bible in German, say the prayer in German. But also, Luther said this. He said, I cannot go about my daily battles without three hours of prayer. I cannot win my daily battles without three hours of prayer. And that's what Jesus did too, you know. Many times he went away to pray by himself, sometimes all night. We are not stronger than Jesus, believe us, right? We need the same time. Maybe sometimes when it's a crisis, we say, I'm going to just spend the whole night in prayer. Can you think of the ten plagues of Egypt? You know, one of, one of them, the last one, was, was very powerful to me. It was that plague that uh, God said, I'm going to take my people out. But the last one, the last manifestation of my power is going to be, I'm going to kill the firstborn of, of Pharaoh and of every family that doesn't have the blood of the lamb, the Passover lamb on their doorposts. So that night, they had to put the, bla- the blood of the lamb on their bo- uh, doorposts. And every home that didn't have this mark, they suffered the death of their firstborn man and animals alike. But the Passover lamb and the blood of the Passover lamb was able to save them. I'm not sure what connotation you know, it, it tells you, but it does remind us, first of all, of the blood of Christ shed for our sins, right? The, the lamb of God. But also it makes us think of what's happening now in the Middle East, right? If you remember, not, not long ago, ISIS took uh, Mosul, a city in the Middle East with a lot of Christians, and they started to mark the houses of Christians with a sign saying, this is Christian. And, and that red thing say, says there, some people said, if I am correct, says, now this is property of ISIS. So that sign, basically, it says, this is a house that belonged to a Christian. And Christians started to flee, but many of them were slaughtered. I saw a picture, I cannot take it off of my mind, I don't want to be too graphic, but it was a young boy looking at his killer coming towards him with a knife. And people say that the last words he said, I'm going to tell God everything. I'm going to tell God everything. So he's telling God everything. You know what Jesus is doing when he received that child? He says, I am interceding for you. I'm not just sitting around. I pray for you. I pray for your faith, for your strength. And I tell my father everything that happens to you. I am praying for you. That's my mission now. I am in heaven. I've been through what you, you've been, you are going through. And I tell my father what's happening to you. And I pray for strength. That he will not give up. Even if you have to give your life. Do not fear of the ones that can take your life. Touch your body. But cannot touch your soul. Fear God. Because God can bless you. And bless your soul forever. How long, Sovereign Lord? You think that the martyrs are not praying? They are under the altar and this is what they pray. How long, Lord, Sovereign, the one who has the kingdom, the power and the glory, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? They were told to wait. That's the answer. Longer, a little longer, just a little bit longer. Christ is going to come, but just a little bit longer he's going to wait until the full number of their fellow servants, their brothers and sisters, will killed just as they had been. There is a full number that God says, the blood of the martyrs, right, is the, is the seed of the church. And God the Father says, I'm going to let the world kill you. 
up to this number, and then I'm going to come and bring my kingdom in full power. By that time, the world is going to be full also of my knowledge. So why are people still dying for Christ today? Just for being Christians, baptized in his name? Because there's still a full number that God says, I still want people to witness, to have the chance to turn from their wicked ways, to trust in me, to follow my way. But it's very hard to be a father and pray for your child who is going to through that, right? Those prayers are honest, sincere prayers of help, of, of despair, saying, God, how long are you going to let this thing go? He has the power, and then he has the glory, right? That's why we pray. He has the glory. What does it mean to give God the glory? He lives as a glorious God, brilliant greatness and excellence and perfection, absolutely glorious. In fact, Moses Moses said, how can I see you? How can I see your glory? And his glory was hidden in the temple, in the Holy of Holies. And, and one time Moses says, no, can I see it myself? And the Lord says, you cannot see my face and my glory without dying. I am too glorious. I am too different. I am transcendent. I am beyond what you can imagine. I am beyond what you can see with your eye. If you see me in my full glory, you will be just disappearing. You, know, you, you will dissipate because I am so different. I am so other, totally different than what you are thinking. I'm, I am beyond what your mind can conceive. You cannot understand my thoughts. My thoughts and my thinking and the way I am acting, my ways are so different from your, your ways. There is no way you can understand who I am. I am filling the entire universe and the church. And I am sending you with this message to have people believe in me and in my son. Because if you have seen the son, then you have seen me. Then you have seen my glory. If you want to learn how to be a better lover, just look at my son. That's the glory. That If you want to know how to be a friend, just look at my son. That's what he told us. If you are a friend with somebody, a true friend will give his life for his friends. If you want to know how it means, what it means, compassion, how to be compassion, how to be caring, look at Jesus, he says, because he is the true image of the invisible God. If you want to know how to lead, learn from Jesus. If you want to be a good servant, learn from Jesus. He said, I came not to be served, but to serve. If you want to live your daily life in the glory of God, you have just to say, God, you are glorious. In Christ Jesus, I find my 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 fulfillment too, my, my satisfaction in what he did on, on the cross on my behalf is everything that I need. And in your Holy Spirit, I walk with you on a daily basis. You know the secrets of my heart. You know me better than I do. So I give you all glory. Everything that I am, not to us we sing a song, but to you, Lord, to you we sing glory, not to us. It's not through what we do. And then we have the last line, forever Amen. You know, what does it mean? Forever, it means basically something very simple. From everlasting to everlasting. What you are doing, Lord, it lasts forever. And then amen. This is the last word, right? Hebrew word. Hebrew word, but it's used by so many languages. Truly, verily. But it's used, even my, my language, Romanian, we don't say amen, we say amen. But it's so common to many, many languages of the earth. But because all of us, we want that. We say truly what we prayed. It means so be it. Or it shall be so. And affirms a perfect confidence in God's power and faithfulness. We say, in the end, Lord, is not what we want, but is what you want. It's not our kingdom, it's your kingdom. It's not our power, it's your power. It's not my plan, your plan. It's not my wisdom, but it's your wisdom. Because you have everything that we need. I like how the, the Heidelberg Catechism ends with this 
uh, question, 129. It says, what does this, that little word amen express? And the answer is, this shall truly and surely be. And look how this beautiful phrase is next. It says, it is even more sure that God listens to my prayer than that I really desire what I pray for. When I say amen, it means that God is going to take care of me, of everything that I brought in prayer before him. And he's going to fulfill that. So that's what we are going to pray now. Before we do this, just think about We go to him as our father, right? We are part of the family. He is my father and he is your father. If you haven't put your trust in him, now is the time to say, Father, I've been on my own. I want you to adopt me in, in Jesus Christ. Can you take me also as your child? And give me a heart of a child too. I want to have Jesus as my Savior and Lord and you as my Father. Because I want to pray this prayer too. And, and then I want to partake of your blood. And, and Father, if you are a Christian, we say, we come before you as your family. Brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus our Lord. And we say, your kingdom come. Your will be done. We want to be, give glory to your name. We thank you that you provided for us. That we are not hungry today. But I'm thinking of this person on my street or in the church. They need something. Would you bless them too, Lord? And help me to bless them too if I have more. Forgive our debts, Lord. What if you come to the Lord right at the table and, and the Lord says, you know what? How much shall I forgive you today? And you say, well, I will just, uh, I had Jimmy and I, um, how much did you forgive him? Well, I, I had this teaspoon and I just took a teaspoon and I forgave Jimmy that much. And the Lord will say, okay, that's how much I'll forgive your sins too. Okay, just a teaspoon. No, no, Lord, uh, how about a half a cup? Half a cup for Mary. I forgive Mary half a cup. And the Lord will say, okay, half a cup for you. You see, we, we pray, forgive our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. We cannot come at the Lord's table. The Lord says, if you go to the altar and you know that there is something that you haven't solved with your brother or sister. He said, go and solve that problem and then come and, and come to God's altar. And that's why we come. When we take the cup, we, we say the words, we say, this bread and this cup is given for a full remission of all of our sins. What if we say today, this morning, God, when I pray this prayer, I want you to give me full forgiveness to everybody that, that needs my forgiveness. To even my worst enemy. Just fill my heart with forgiveness. I forgive everybody in your name. I don't have the power, but Christ has. So give me that power. I am asking in Jesus' name. And then keep us away from temptation. I cannot keep me away from temptation, but you, Father, can. And you can keep me away from evil. Because yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Let's stand and pray this prayer together. As children of our Father, let's go to him in prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. You may be seated. Friends, hear these gracious words of promise spoken by our Lord. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. 
I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall not hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. Him who comes to me I will not cast out. Friends in the Lord Jesus Christ, let us lift up our hearts to the Lord. Let us lift them up to the God of our salvation. The Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me.
Take, eat, remember and believe that the precious body of our Lord Jesus Christ was given for the complete forgiveness of all our sins. In the same way, after the supper, Jesus took the cup and said, This is the cup of my new covenant in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. Because whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Thank you. 
take, drink, remember, and believe that the blood of Jesus Christ was shed for a full remission of all our sins. Bless the soul, all my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. You are worthy, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created, and have their being. Amen. Would you stand and receive God's blessing as we leave this place? May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his shine face, uh, face shine upon you and give you his peace. In the power and the strength of his Holy Spirit. Amen. You may go in peace.